1: it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist hello so we're in the final furlong with game week one just touching distance away wowie yes a mercifully truncated preseason is about to give way to the season proper With this podcast for one looking forward to there being actual football to talk about rather than being speculation and fluff I bet you feel the same right Anthony? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but first, he's back. It's Nick after missing last week, but no doubt raring to go on this dish of WGTA. Nick, you're right, mate? Good to see you. That beard uh, is getting uh, out of control now.
2: Oh, yeah. It's a lockdown still going on, technically. Still working from home, so the, the beard is just getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, I don't really have a plan to shave it either. So <laughs> I just to, see. to get you to
1: make a Twitter account for it and announce we've got a fourth co-host.
2: <laughs> perhaps perhaps but yeah it's um so close now isn't it to the start of the season yeah, definitely feeling like we're reaching that stage now where we're looking at our FPL team started to panic you know thinking about oh are we happy with this guy all last minute changes um kicking in all that sort of thing as we question our strategies and we're going to talk a little bit about strategies in this pod um, so who are we we are who got the assist um, you can find us on twitter or facebook we're also on instagram if you want to give us a follow there we've joined recently wgta.fpl is the account there yeah welcome new listeners if you enjoy the pod hit subscribe and if you like what you hear as well, we'd really appreciate a nice review, perhaps a five-star review. That would be really, really great. So thanks for all the listeners as well who've given us reviews already. Really appreciated. And um, if you want to join our mini-league as well, um, the code for this season is CPSULF. It's always a very competitive mini-league and um, we might uh, give some prizes out this year. We haven't fully arranged that, but possibly do something. We're going to cut and, your
0: beard off and we're going to deliver it in the post. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure people would appreciate that <laughs> anyway anthony how are you then even lads uh, good to be back with you again um i was looking at twitter earlier today and it's genuinely i think the first time i bothered paying attention to people's drafts and it's, it's definitely good to know that a pandemic and a few weeks off hasn't affected twitter's group I think so lovely to see that um anyway game week one is indeed upon us uh, but it's this is definitely tactically much more challenging than seasons yonder, given that we're kicking off with this blank game week with no less than both Manchester, United, or Manchester clubs absent. So what we're going to be doing in this pod is basically looking at our strategy on how we're going to deal with the start of the season and then we move on to listener contributions and our questions and answers round.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's definitely a bit of a puzzler, isn't it? I think um, a few years ago, we had Chelsea playing in the Super Cup. So I think they missed the first game. But that was in you know, 2012, 2013, something like that. And um, so, you know, here we are with United and City alongside the Clarets in Burnley and Villa, uh, missing though that game week one fixture, which leads us to a few different strategies, I guess, that managers are considering to navigate this early puzzler. Uh, today, we're going to be looking over those strategies and thinking, you know, what are we adopting? What do we think? is best um but at the same time it's always up to you to look over what you're most comfortable with i think because i think one of the key sort of watchwords over all of this is that it really depends on your play style and what is most comfortable to you starting with just because you know there's no right or wrong answer right now for the benefit of hindsight we may see what the best thing to do was but as it stands there are quite a few different options that you could go with to approach this uh this start of the season and it's very hard to to say you're definitely wrong. But there are maybe some kind of critiques or arguments for and arguments against that may resonate with you. So definitely bear that in mind when making a decision about how you're going to do it. And indeed, you may already have decided what you fancy. Um, So the strategies we're going to be looking at today I've given them a few names. Uh, Big at the bench, we've always always go for a big at the something, don't we? Um, Doomsday prepping slash booking. Game week one is a free hit. And flexible working, probably in the spirit of the COVID context. Uh, To start with, I suppose, let's go into big at the bench. So uh, there are a couple of questions related to this. Just to give you an idea of what we mean by this, although it probably is fairly obvious. uh, FPL Captain Fair asks, what's your thoughts on going into game week one with United or City Asset for game week two? Um, He says... Um, you know he's got Fernandez or Greenwood on the bench um but he's not too sure Yeah, he's not too sure there's gonna go with it. And Chico Jimenez says if we're not planning to wildcard early, which are the best options to start with on our bench to save transfers? Uh, so this big at the bench is obviously the idea that you're starting with a city and/or united, probably united because they're game week two crystal palace game player on your bench and maybe a burnley player and may or maybe a villa player. Uh, so basically, you're using 4.5 million defender or a cheap midfielder or something to cover you for game week one, but you know you're you're held back and you're saving that transfer in game week two rather than booking one in um, as the doomsday prepper one would be. Big at the bench, what do you guys reckon to this? Um, I'm on it, spoilers, but I want to get your thoughts first before I go into why I think it probably is the best approach, at least for me.
2: So I'm probably going to be a little bit more negative towards this strategy in, in true style uh, compared to you guys because I'm not actually a huge fan of it. I know that you've definitely been considering it. For me, I just, I just don't like the idea of benching a high-value asset in week one. I feel like in game week one, you're almost instantly putting yourself in the back foot giving yourself a disadvantage compared to some of your rivals and for me, I, I look at game week one, I look at the fixtures and I want to set up for the best team possible. So, putting as many heavy hitters in my team, for instance, I've got the likes of Vardy in there and Werner alongside some other big players like Salah and Aubameyang. And I look at that team and I think actually that looks like a really strong team. I'm very happy with that for game week one. I, I don't want to have a sort of a 9 million man like Martial sitting on the bench or a 9.5 million man like Rashford or some, or even a Bruno. and, and Meaning I'm having to sacrifice my starting 11 and having Sort of very, very cheap neighbours in there, you know, 5 million, 5.5 million forwards or whatever, um, to try and make that happen. So I, I prefer at the moment putting in a strong starting 11, a strong starting team for game week one, and then looking forwards to the, you know, using my transfers to, to bring in the players that then I'd want to bring in for Manchester United in the next week, you know, doing a transfer straight away perhaps, yeah, rather than benching someone.
0: It's interesting. I think I would echo Nick to definitely a, a large extent uh, when it comes to this big at the bench strategy. Now, maybe my reasons are a little bit different in that I feel that having a bench every game week is something that seems like pretty clearly going to be needed right now, especially coming off the back of this international break where there seems to have been COVID. There are COVID fears, if not COVID positives, and there's have been discipline issues as well. It seems that trying to go into any game week with, let's say, 12 outfield players potentially available for your team not including blank players obviously it seems a little bit tight to me and as well then there is the whole problem of just having so much value on your bench like you you want to do well every week and no more than any game week one is an important one to kind of get your season started and not to be starting on the back foot i'd much rather be trying to react and get united or city players in as they hit in form rather than spend a week where i know that i'm not going to get any points for them starting off so rather than have those City United players in my squad starting, instead I'm just going to kind of hedge across the big teams and give myself that space to budge across to your City or United players. So I have, for example, San, Abamiang, Salah and Werner in my squad right now. One of them won't have been good in the first two weeks probably, but I'll be happy enough to sell. And I'm kind of hedging on (laughs) one of them being a bit disappointing and making a clear transfer for me. Right.
1: No, I see what you mean. I think it's just, I mean, Nick, you said there's you going know, to be starting on the back foot and all this sort of thing. I think it kind of works both ways, though, because if, you're, if you've are if you got that Martial character, whatever, on your bench, all the way down to Greenwood, potentially, surely you're, you can be proactive rather than reactive with your transfers and you're just booking in what you're doing next because you're pretty much saying, OK, one of these guys is saying, Anthony, it's got to go in order to fit. Martial in and I I personally don't feel particularly comfortable with that and uh, to me it feels like kind of during the proper season as it were like if there's a blank fixture but you want to keep that player because they've got good fixtures coming up like I think that that's kind of the way I'm looking at it.
0: With with keeping
1: Martial there, and
0: like, but so often the reason why you'd keep a player in a blank in the mid season is because of a value issue as well. You know, you sell them, yeah. it's going to be much harder to get them back. It's 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 nowhere near as big of an issue now. And like, what are those players going to be like in you know two weeks when they actually get around to playing?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I just think it's worth highlighting the fact that you can be proactive rather than reactive with the transfers. Like you're not going to be in a position where you're covering yourself. You're not going to be in a position where you're trying to kind of figure out Your new team setup, if suddenly it looks like in game week three, this is, I'm saying, you're going to need to try to fit in a Bruno plus try to fit in a Man City kind of player. So I feel like kind of I'm one step ahead in terms of the transfers, although I appreciate what you're saying about, as Nick was saying as well, having being a slight on the back foot that I've got a 4.5 million defender on where he's got a Son on. That does not seem particularly nice. The reason I'm doing it is just I'm trying to find ways to preserve transfers and I'm trying to find ways to basically preserve that wild card ultimately. Uh, like the whole idea is of my start season is to get to game week three and then assess what I do. Uh, that's basically it. But this is all kind of clothed in the idea of preserving my wildcard, like the logistical geniuses of James and Planet FPL and Ben Quellin have basically pointed out that wildcard 16, 18 and 19, use all of that. I'm not going to go through the convoluted ins and outs to be honest, um but for so what? Of that is that the wild card seems a fabulous way to navigate that sort of issue at the end of the season. Uh, so for now, I think I want to give myself the option to kind of just go into the season with like a plan in place to deal with what I'm missing in game week one and game week two without using that transfer. And in game week three, I can make proactive rather than reactive transfers for two free transfers. That just seems to me like a nice little solution to the problem
2: I've got obviously using cause I think you're going for Martial using sort of the similar price point player that I was going to have instead of a Martial type character, which is Vardy. If he does really well in, in game week one, I would think you'd potentially be tempted by him looking at his fixtures of Burnley at home Man city away West Ham at home, Aston Villa at home. And, you know, you could already be on the back foot thinking, actually my entire plan is already in ruins for, you know, cause you can't fit this guy in because you've already backed yourself in a, with a player who hasn't even started the season that, and, you know, there's, there's question marks there as well. I just just sort of to answer the questions as well. I think with him Jimenez, so for me, personally, I, I would say if you're going to pick someone, maybe someone like Charlie Taylor would be a good pick. Uh, perhaps for someone who could just be a bench fodder type character. And then you've got your Burnley defence um, sorted, especially, and we've got a question of 4.5s later, but especially considering that the 4.5 million defenders seem to be dying a death one by one at the moment. And and with Captain Fail. I prefer this sort of the song and 1.5 million strategy to having a Fernandez or Greenwood on the bench for the sort of the reasons that I've stated. But you know, we, we don't we don't all seem to be in agreement on this one. I've got my stance, which is kind of a bit more flexibility as opposed to having transfers booked in.
0: Yeah, for for what's worth, as well to uh, Chico Jimenez, I actually have Aaron Wamsaka on my bench currently. He's the only blank game week player that I would have in my game week one squad he could switch to Luke Shaw or any other Man United defender, to be honest with you. It's just, look, he offers quite good value at 5.5, should be a nailed-on starter. And United were the best defence in Project Restart in terms of expected goals conceded from open play, which I think is the fairest metric to assess them based at based on. And Crystal Palace's attack is largely non-existent. So I'd, I'd fancy them to get that clean sheet uh, to start off, even if they're not necessarily on song and flying uh, in an attacking sense being a bit rusty coming in in game week one
1: Yeah, no, i just i still just don't particularly mind the whole idea so i've actually got um a, a 4.5 million defender of one of the teams as well plus uh, at the moment Martial, but Christ he's got covid or anything right now with mbappe this evening being diagnosed and um, at the moment my plan is to have a united attacker of some description uh, occupying a spot on my bench and i mean i still think that that's a decent way of approaching it whether that Ends up being naughty boy Greenwood, whether that ends up being Martial, whether that ends up being somebody else remains to be seen. I think that Rashford or Bruno on my bench probably is a bit too far. You end up with a seriously diluted game we won. What I like about Martial at 9.0 and maybe Rashford just about, but Martial particularly, is that he gives you like a decent enough game week squad I think to be getting on with in that first game week it really sounds like it's just down to how you assess the situation which as I said at the beginning is probably going to be the one thing that holds sway over how you look at things but for me you know having those initial sort of players on the pitch and then taking them off game week two for the likes of Marshall to come on it just just suits my <laughs> the way I've, I've planned it but yeah um, so another way of doing it is kind of prepping or booking in kind of a sort of doomsday prepper sort of thing for you've seen that on Netflix uh, but FPL net assets asks tongue-in-cheek if FPL will mess with the algorithm to keep the united city prices stable because obviously there's loads of people who are doing the opposite of me so they're not benching a United asset what they're doing is they're kind of saying either you know I'm going to bank loads of money You're big at the bank I called this but probably not quite right and um, to buy someone in game week two or they're doing something like this so they're starting with Danny Ings say with 0.5 million in the bank so they can swap them to Martial I think for some people as well like just kind of looking around and some of the plans that I've heard there's more bookings and venture holiday for a lot of people I, I don't really quite get that because it feels like it's a very strange way of looking at fpl if you're kind of saying right game week one my game week one to two chances already booked game week two to three chances already booked. So you're kind of thinking well fpl is really dynamic right i'm now getting into how i feel about this i know um, but fpl is an incredibly dynamic game like what do you do if your players are firing what do you do if another player then jumps the queue like then you're kind of thinking well i had the transfer booked in but i've also got to do this and so now i've got to take a hit i've got to do this got to do that it just oh, it just makes me feel personally uncomfortable in a way that Bigot, the bench does not. So for me, even though I can see the value perhaps in kind of starting with an Ings or starting with a Werner and then downgrading them, I, I just don't like it. I, I feel like it's kind of tying up a transfer when loads of other things could possibly happen, especially in the COVID context. Prepping, booking,
0: what do you guys reckon? See, for me, I've been thinking about this booking idea and I've just thought back to seasons past when there wasn't a pandemic going on. And how I never managed to stick with the plan that I'd set out initially pre-game week one by let's say game week three. There's always so many you know fires that emerge in your squad, the player you took in a punt in that you're not happy at, that you with anymore, the player who's hit form that you just you know, let's say the player you didn't pick that's hit form that you probably now need to get into your squad, if even just to cover yourself and to make sure you get value. The fact of the matter is we have a transfer window that's ongoing as well. That's going on till October 5th. There's so many players that are bedding into squads and we're not sure like whether they're going to start initially or maybe after a few weeks here, and how they're even going to play your James Rodriguez types. So like there's just like too many factors for me to consider trying to, you know, book my transfers in it as as you say, Tom, it's just too rigid for me. I thought you actually might
2: be more of an advocate for for this strategy there, Anthony. But I think I don't like the whole idea of the big at the bank. I know we kind of re- decided not to address that too much, but I think the whole concept on sitting on on a chunk of money is even worse than big at the bench, really, because you're you're just booking in a transfer that you're gonna to have to force to be done. And then if you've got a scenario you've got four million at the bank at the start of the season and Salah gets injured, for instance, you're gonna still have that four million in the bank for game week two, likely. And uh and you just end up not knowing what to do with the money. And I think if you kind of sit on a sort of 0.5 million in the bank, and you, you're planning to do rings to out. I just, I don't know about that either. You know, there's so many circumstances could um, take place. You know, there could be, Um, early rises for Martial that catch you out because of the price rises and the price changes, people flocking towards um, the Manchester United players. I think this um, algorithm question, a similar question to your FPL general's last prod and I, I tend to agree with the sentiments that he made there just in regards to like FPL and the AFPL. We've seen them manly adjust and you know, adjust with the algorithm, make little slight changes to prevent crazy price rises in the past. So I I would be surprised if we saw like a Manchester United players triple rising in that one week. I think it'll be handled quite sensibly to to avoid the, the market going going too crazy there. I've
1: seen a lot of people going, oh my God, you know, game week two, um, all, everyone's going to be jumping in, the City players, United players, are going to be up by 0.1 by Sunday night. Oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm going to book in my transfers on Saturday. I'm going to make it straight away. And I'm kind of thinking, actually, like, we've got this afterglow of what it was like at the end of the season last year when it was just the engaged players playing, right? It was just the people who were well up for it, really engaged, knew what they were doing. At the start of the season, is it like that? No, not at all. You've just got loads of less engaged managers who are involved. I appreciate some of them, maybe some of the new listeners here are now trying to kind of tool up a little bit from there. But you do have a lot of people who are just going to be reacting to what's happened in game week one and may kind of just not have the bandwidth to kind of think, okay, these players aren't playing game week one. And that they they may be United fans. They may have gone, all right, I'm going to go for Rashford, Bruno. You know, I'm going to then throw in Kevin De Bruyne because he was really good last year. And when they find out, all these players haven't played. So they're going to transfer them out for the players who have played and have scored. I know that sounds really silly, but I suspect to somebody who's not as into it as we are, a lot of those people are going to be very, very kind of uh, active in the market. So if anything, there may be kind of this kind of countervailing force of people jumping on, United and City Assets. Actually, there may be a lot of people who are selling them as well just by dint of the fact they haven't played in Game Week 1. But that's the reality of the market in Game Week 1. So I wouldn't be too worried about those kind of price rises. And I don't know, maybe Nick there's an element of that and what General was suggesting that maybe they do kind of jimmy it a little bit just to make sure it's not particularly mad. But I mean, are there any positives to this uh, strategy stag? I feel like we've, both, we've all kind of kind of uh, expressed our negative feelings towards it. But when I mean, Nick said it, it may it may be a stag strap, um, any Positive you can discern from it because I'm sure there are people doing it.
0: I could see why Nick would think it would be a stag strat because definitely in periods where I've been struggling and trying to play catch up, I've definitely you know looked to fixtures more so than form or reputation when you know, deciding on transfers. So I, I can see why... He would think that, and I think that is still the the benefit with this strategy that it, of course, allows you to adapt to who's got the plum fixtures, and probably allows you to get a captain obvious into your team for for a more one off fixture. Uh, that that would be, I would say, the the large benefit of big at the back. I think you're starting to arrange deck chairs on the Titanic if you're you know have planned in moves for your four point five defenders or your five point five midfielders. But when you're you know moving around your premium assets to try and you know get those good fixtures, that is you know, there's clearly a route to success there if it comes off for you. Just the problem is, is that when you've got a a highly prescribed plan and as we talked about in last week's pod, when price fluctuations are at their worst at this part of the season, usually as we noted with, you know, cheaper midfielders and forwards who are going down one as opposed to players who are going up one. But The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the the margins are pretty tight on value at this time of the year and 0.1 can feel like 0.5. And my fear is that even if you've got a really good plan put together, it could be hard to actually pull it off, even if it is the best laid plan.
1: Uh, no, I, I know what you mean. I think uh, it's almost like with with the fact um, that I've got Martial there, it's like I don't need to then make another move to make that plan happen. So I'm on step two already. Whereas if you're starting with the idea of booking in transfers, it feels like you've got to hope that loads of things come together. Whereas for me, it's kind of just like, all right, one game week, it might be a little bit dodgy with the likes of Vardy, as Nick mentioned, doing something that might be a bit annoying. But Game Week 2, the cavalry is here, provided they aren't, of course, COVID-related absentees, I suppose. But yeah, OK, so we're not too sure about that one, but I can kind of see why you, you might be going for that. I you we're running out of things this could possibly be, guys. We're on number three and neither of you have said this is what I'm doing yet. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Game Week 1 is a free hit and wild card in game week two so i've heard this kind of discussed around the, the podosphere i suppose the likes of josh paxman from surgery and i think josh Moore was cheating as well maybe it's a josh thing um, favoring this and i can definitely see that see the benefits of this so you jump on those mad kind of transfer activities in game week two and you make an absolute killing in terms of team value and anthony relayed this last week actually in the podcast with lee and sam because you know talking about how a vast majority of team value rises are made actually by game week 15 I think and um, that's where the majority of your of return your to value is going to be made but I mean it's a bit of a sprint start isn't it I guess that's kind of what people are going for but do we think that that's going to be an, like enough of a positive or will it lead to a saggy end uh, once those who wildcard later have their moment Nick what do you think about saggy ends <laughs>
2: um, so this whole idea was what? actually one that I think on the last pod I was on I was saying that I was planning an early wildcard this was kind of what I was proposing that I would do with my own team oh, yeah and I was quite tempted to do this I feel like with the recent developments I'm kind of a little bit less sure about this whole idea at the moment it's mostly so many players seem to be getting coronavirus or COVID-19 at the moment aren't they with with Several announcements today. I think we saw Mares in the port yesterday. Um, you know, likes of Su Czech as well, from um, Czech Republic, left the squad. I think the whole Czech Republic team had to leave and be isolated. So and obviously Mbappe today, as you mentioned, Tom. So I think that is my concern here. And I don't think it's just necessarily going to be cancelled players so to speak, it'll be cancelled fixtures as well, potentially. But on the other hand, we talked about this being a risk um, gaming 30 to 38, didn't we? We didn't see a single cancel fixture. So, you know, it may be, it's, you know not going to be a concern and it's just going to blow over when all the players come back from their holidays and stuff like that. So it's it's not something I'm planning on doing now. I think it kind of made sense for me at the time when I was advocating it, the whole idea of getting in those Manchester United, Manchester City players. I quite like the idea of saying, actually, I could have a team in game week two and just bang in Bruno, Martial, Greenwood, for that Crystal Palace, and you know that could be the kind of game that you look at United getting four goals against them, brace for each of them or whatever. A couple of assists, you'll be you'll be flying, and that was kind of where I was leaning at City as well. You could be loading up on De Bruyne and Sterling nice and early, but their fixtures aren't as good. It's more about the Manchester United fixtures at the start of the season, I guess. So I think that's why I was kind of going for it at the moment, but I think I'm, I'm kind of moving away a little bit because I'd rather hang on to that wild card. I think it's potentially going to be. Better opportunities to come
0: So like Nick I I was definitely sympathetic To the wildcard early strategy at least I'm not sure if I was ever fully On the Game Week 2 wildcard But certainly a very early wildcard I think remains my strategy Game Week 2 just feels that A little bit early Like okay there are clear upsides Of course and it is jumping on Those United and City players When they're differentials Especially the United ones As Nick says Given their fixtures That's brilliant Also if there is some surprises In the Game Week 1 lineups you can obviously adapt to that quite quickly, deal with price changes, you can react to somebody having a particularly good performance, whatever that may be. There's good opportunities there with that early wildcard. And of course, you just set yourself up well as well for game week two and beyond, and you can ignore game week one for whatever change that would bring to your squad. Just as you say, the, the issue is just that it's so early to do it. Okay, yes, there is the long-term wildcard better at the uh, tail end of the first half of the season, and that's a proper strategic thing that we can go into or you can find outside of this parish. Okay, so that's one reason why you keep your wild card. But the other is just the fact that like, there's just so much uncertainty. I'd rather see how these squads bed in. The transfer window is still open, and there are so many teams who really need to sort out gaping holes around their team Wolves is right back, There's Fulham have a gaping hole on one of their flanks as well so they're right back as well actually there's some teams who really don't seem to have a recognised decent Premier League quality striker there are huge like, transfers that need to be made and I think there will be opportunities open up because of those, a lot of clubs as well tend to bed in players over the first few weeks of the season, Arsenal maybe would be one team who you might see that happen with so with this in mind, just like I'll just hang on just a little bit longer just to get more out of that wild card when I do use it
1: Yeah, it feels like you need a little bit more information to me, but I agree with that. And I think that the transfer window being open uh, until quite late on, I mean, I'm not suggesting obviously that a player's going to come in and play straight away, but I mean, you've got, big transfers that just happened this week like Havertz even this evening there have been James Rodriguez was announced this evening you may have you know stuff like United finally landing Sancho who knows like all of these things may require a wild card to deal with
0: e- even something as you know seemingly trivial as uh, the Bournemouth duo now landing at Newcastle yeah, could anyway absolutely. make options you know absolutely
1: we've well, got, got a good question on them actually later on um, and I also think um, you know game week two game week three wild carding around them okay Okay, I understand it completely from a jumping on the value sort of thing, especially, I think, game week three as well, because you kind of have the the tailwind of, of people who have saved the two free transfers also then involved in the market. So then there's a lot more sort of liquidity at that time. But I do think there's definitely a bit of a deficit of information. Maybe it's, I've got memories last year of people jumping onto Triple United. They had Palace then as well. Yikes, that could be foreshadowing. But they lost, didn't they? they Palace beat them at Old Trafford. I remember a cack in my pants because everybody had jumped on you know, Triple United United before that game, so you know there, there, there are always kind of elements where maybe there's not enough information quite yet to do it. Even though, if you're making money now, hopefully you'll be able to then express that value going forward in terms of uh, giving you, giving you an advantage.
0: Yeah, and and, and as well, I thought maybe it's just worth pointing out that if you are using your wild card as a money spinner after the transfer window is open until just after game week four, there's an international break as well, just around that point. So you're going to have a two week period where I think you will see more transfers than you might otherwise see obviously with it being a two-week window instead of yeah. one-week window so uh, if if you are looking at that value aspect of using the wild card there probably seems to be a better scope there than there is now
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's worth saying as well that i'm uh, i said earlier on that i'm looking to hold my wild card in the game week 16 but i'm not going to doggedly stick to that strategy um i'd rather get their 100k having used my wild card again week four or five to rejig my squad and need to take some hits rather than getting there. One million of wildcard in hand um, and, and trying to make up. I'd much prefer to be in, in, scenario, in boat A than boat B. So that sounded like the first thing, uh, Anthony, that you were even vaguely warm to, which is an early wildcard. But this doesn't sound like a strategy still. Um, and I've seen, you know, the, I think the first three, big at the bench, this kind of prepping idea, and game week one, free hit to wildcard, game week two, YOLO. Like, those were the ones that I really felt were quite common on, you know, on the social channels and stuff so I'm a bit bemused about where we are I mean Simon Ngora chairman said to us you know how are we cutting through the herd mentality on Twitter it's getting to him a little bit in terms of the setups and it sounds like uh, you guys managed to cut through it because I think we've reached the last one which is maximum flexibility slash flexible working hours I've described this as being have no plan just play it I love a bit of laissez-faire but you're both nodding Nick what's going on you're normally you know, the, the arc planner and here you are indulging in
0: liberal behaviors what's happening hey, beard getting to your head nick it's the beard perhaps isn't perhaps <laughs> you know i don't have a craft beard tonight unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> <Normally do. laughs> just
2: the bearded hipster yeah i think it's just for. i just like being a little bit flexible i don't really have a plan in mind my kind of plan i guess was to set up with a strong team that i would be happy with for the first five game weeks or so and, and make transfers as and when you know if i'm Going to say I had anything planned. I, I kind of was looking at Aubameyang and selling him in game week three for a Manchester United or a Manchester City midfielder. I would potentially look to bring in a Manchester United player for game week two as well, depending on who looked particularly crap in in game week one. So if it's a case that Vardy was dreadful and looks past it then maybe I'd bring in Martial I'm looking at it at the moment and saying right, I really want a good team for game one I want a good team for the first five game weeks or so but I will bring in some Manchester United and Manchester City players at some point but I don't know when, it all depends on what happens we've got a lot of stuff happening in, in the real world, as well as on the pitch, it's frantic. The news is like, today's been ridiculous, the breaking news, of Greenwood and Foden being kicked out, the England squad, Mbappe getting coronavirus about an hour before we went live, as I said, Laporte and Mahrez as well. It's, it's wild right now, so could be the whole french team we were just debating before uh, went live could now have to quarantine we haven't heard anything maybe you'll you'll know by the time you actually hear this but it just feels like it's so much going on that i just want as flexible approach as possible and just be kind of ready for whatever
0: happens and, and react as and when they do we're just classic millennials really just you know some millennials do yoga to be flexible we are just flexible in our transfer strategies you know that's just how it is the fact of the matter is look it's COVID it's the discipline issues it's the fact that like this international break as well I've watched two Ireland games I uh, yeah I know Uh, I watched the England versus Iceland game you could put that in the bracket yeah I know and I also watched a bit of Germany Switzerland game yeah yeah and all of them you would say that there was a serious lack of intensity. There was a clear general match fitness issues throughout all of the teams that I was watching i really think that we're going to see quite a lot of issues springing up in these first few weeks and i I really don't want to be tied to any strategy as i said earlier i've hedged across the big teams in terms of my premium players just so that i can budge to a city or united player or one of their teammates of those elite players that i have just i just really don't want to tie myself to anything quite happy to just make it up as i go along for a few weeks use that wild card that i have there early if i feel like it i think i'm more warm to it and i i think that i can you know over my way through the, the late part of the first half of this season um, so i'm not too concerned about using the wild card then and i'd rather you know use it in game week four or whatever if that's what i feel is the best thing to do but aside from that i'm just you know happy with my game week one team i'm happy with what that team would look like in game week two and that's about it okay now it, it strikes
1: me that from listening to you guys and speaking about it there's kind of a spectrum you guys with the maximum flexibility no real plan probably me next with the okay i've got marshall on my bench but i'm also planning to get to game week three see what happens then you've probably got the kind of the preppers who are saying right i'm making moves one and two two and three whatever you may be doing or you know, whatever player you've got queued up to be gotten rid of that's kind of you know three out of four on the scale of i've got a plan and then all the way to basically Full commitment. Game week one is a complete free hit. You've got Mane, you've got Salah, you've got free Chelsea. You know, you've got Vardy sat in your team, and it's all just the game week one free hit. And then you're kind of commissed the game week two wildcard as soon as you're in. So it feels like there's a bit of a spectrum of kind of depth of planning, as it were. And we're all kind of down towards the lower end of getting just just bumbling through to game week three rather than sort of your Krellin or something who's really kind of already planned in his transfers all the way up to game week 16, no doubt. Um, and yeah, no, very interesting. Just to remind you then that big at the bank, uh, the four strategies kind of are that we think are around. I'm sure there may be some others uh, big at the bench. So the idea that you're kind of benching a Martial, but benching United or indeed a City asset, something like that. Uh, prepping or booking. So booking and transfer. Uh, game week one is a free hit. And Game Week 2, a uh, wild card. And finally, what these guys are doing, maximum flexibility. Yeah. Um, I think uh, another thing just to mention quickly as well, is kind of the key ways in which this is sort of enabled. Because, I mean, if you guys are just kind of going for the max flexibility, of hubbub around this sort of idea of kind of price points occupancy, old price points, blah, 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 blah at the moment. I mean, is it something you guys have paid? mind to or is it something that kind of just happens naturally like I feel like I naturally do this anyway so I wonder whether it is a thing with a capital T or just a thing that
2: you do naturally when you're
1: organically making your team what do you guys think about this is it something you've consciously paid mind to when you when you're composing your teams
2: I think it often happens quite naturally I mean I look at my team anyway and and some of the players that might come in at game week two and have I've generally got positions in defence, midfield and forward that could be easily downgraded to other slots. I think if I look at my team, I think the only gap I seem to have in terms of a price point occupancy is sort of that 7 million, 8 million midfielder. I don't have any of those in my team currently. I've got two very expensive midfielders and then two slightly cheaper ones at 5.5 million. And perhaps that is a gap in my team, maybe, but I did look at the sort of the seven millions, the eight millions, um midfielders, and there's not any, really anyone that I was particularly sold on. I I like Havertz at some point. I'd perhaps bring him in when he settled at eight point five million, but below that, I don't know. I mean I hadn't Mason Mounts, as you know, in one of my drafts, he's made way for a sort of Alan Cent Maximum character, which gave me one point five million extra to to play with to um you know improve my forward line so you know I've got a little bit of a gap there I guess in my team and perhaps I could get caught out later on by having that gap but it isn't something I was overly concerned about when setting my team I think when it comes to game week two and the players that I would bring in anyway for game two it would be those Manchester United expensive assets would be the ones that I'd you know clearly drawn to I'd imagine and and I wouldn't be able to out of 7 or 8 million to get those guys in anywhere it'd have to be an Aubameyang or a Salah or a Vardy that, that goes to, to get one of those guys in and it depends who looks the worst
0: Looking at how I've put my squad together, I think it's definitely just FPL ting, man. It would be my uh, response to your actual question, Tom. Like, it, the fact of the matter is, is that like you've got two elite midfielders in there. Then I've got one, you know, high elite in Son at nine million. Let's say I've got Werner at that nine point five, and he can swap to pretty much any striker, given that they're not actually that expensive at the elite end of the spectrum. I, I do have a gap in that middle midfielders that Nick has as well. I don't have any gap really uh, amongst my defenders, mostly because I really invested heavily in fives and 5.5s um so it, it kind of means that they can pretty much change into anybody with one slash two transfers so with that in mind like okay yeah there's there is an element of not snookering myself with the price points within my team i'm not going to have three let's say elite midfielders in there and then no money in my forwards so if, you know it would be very hard let's say to get money into my forward line without two transfers uh, unless I had Werner in there and I really wanted to make some sort of move that would see him sacrificed. but other than that like nothing alarming just a bit of balance
1: yeah I'm pretty much the same probably a good place to end as well for this particular session I think just the, the word on it is that if you're an engaged manager I think you you kind of aren't going to be making the glaring errors that you see kind of newer people make so stuff like you know having five blankers or selecting non-FPL relevant players from the club they support you know like having a Hoiberg in there or something like that I mean at this point and as I said through the discussions like I think all those strategies are valid and defensible and I think there's a lot of player choices which are also valid and defensible like every single player at the moment has a yeah but this about them there's a whataboutery sort of thing that's going to go on a lot this week but ultimately you just do whatever's right for you Like it's game week one and there's past season data, there's new signing scout reports, everything like that that could possibly kind of be there to change your mind. But at the same time, you know, it's ultimately about who you think is is decent here. I mean, some people will really look at ownership, for example, as a way to dictate their game week one drafts. I don't know. I think over the time I've just learned to just have fun basically and it sounds like all three of us have just made squads of players who we just kind of think of the best picks rather than looking at any kind of external factors like that so there you go right uh, we'll take a break there and we'll move on to the correspondence section the new nascent correspondence section no not correspondences and people who represent the teams Correspondence with an nce back off for this you got the assist who got the assist so we're back and normally the section would start with Anthony giving a, a league update but obviously not this week. Uh, next week we'll be back in providing the game week one and uh, detailing whichever crazy team has found its way to the summit of who got this mini league. As Nick mentioned uh, at the start of the pod, uh, the league code is CPSULF. Before we go on to the Q&A, well, first we've got the correspondence section and uh, we've got Anthony whose idea this was uh, to introduce.
0: Oh wow, I've been, my name has been associated with this segment, wow. <laughs> it's like this is a referendum on me now. Hello, boss. Thanks, thanks <laughs> For, Tom. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so look, usually we'd have a listener contribution in the form of rapid fire questions and answers, and we will have that. And that's always been part of the running order of the pod. But we'd also like to hear your comments, your clarifications, your addendums to our previous podcast discussions or wider FPL questions. So do please get in touch to who assist at gmail.com with whatever is on your mind mind. Um, the inaugural uh, correspondence letter comes from our friend of the show and a man with a moniker, which I think is up there with the best in the FBL community, Desperately Seeking Dusan. who you'll find on Twitter at Seeking Dusan, no spaces or underscores in there. Now, Alan, as he is also known, writes, Dear WTTA team, Captain Obvious was overwhelmingly chosen as preferred strategy in the last podcast. But isn't the obvious captain and ex-ante concept seen through the spectacles of hindsight? For example, in Game Week 31 plus last season, the majority of the game opted for Mosala at home to Crystal Palace as the obvious captain, which was evidently sensible choice given that he was the player that he is and the fixture that was there. And of course, Salah did score and he did assist and got 11 points. But, uh, however, to a richly deserved post-result fanfare late riser, captain Anthony Martial for a hat-trick at home to Sheffield United. Prior to kick-off, a large proportion of the community were surprised at late risers' pick, and although it is tempting to suggest that there is like an outcome bias in this example, the facts were that Sheffield United were away from home to a resurgent Bruno-inspired Manchester United who had everything to play for, whilst the Blades were without two key defenders in Egan and O'Connell, and most crucially, had no Dean Henderson who was ineligible to play against his parent club. Prior to that game, Henderson had a season XG prevented of plus 8.7, making him the real strength behind the Sheffield United defence and prior clean sheets. Alan rounds off his email with a question. If you always pick the captain obvious, will you not simply achieve captaincy scores that are similar to the average score of engaged players, the ones who, that we're competing with? Kind regards, desperately seeking an answer.
2: I guess I wasn't on the pod last week when you talked about Captain Obvious, so perhaps I'll give my ten cents here. Uh, I think I don't understand where he's coming from, and you know the example was very interesting—one of a sort of um, a pick that perhaps wasn't the obvious pick at the time, but when you look back, you know, you weigh up the circumstances around it, you, you know, it it made sense, and Nate and Rides was very clever in terms of that particular selection. I think I still personally, for me, I feel like. I agree with the guys when they were on the pod last week in terms of um, you know the rule that was the unwritten rule that we talked about the obvious captain is obvious I know it's saying oh you're following the norm in that week but if you follow that strategy 38 weeks over the season it it will end up with you trending to a a high score as opposed to a, a template score I think also I think you know that was an example of where it had worked where the obvious pick um a different a differing um pick to the obvious pick worked but you know you, you tend to only hear the stories of success most of the time for you know on twitter someone picks someone that's a you know a differential captain and it pays off and you get all the news and all the fanfare but you don't hear about all the the times it doesn't pay off when people don't pick so and go for a uh, risky picks, for instance and i I kind of remember an example from last season where I went against a well went against an obvious captain pick, and the example perhaps was Callum Wilson, which a lot of people captained him in that week where they played Norwich, and actually a lot of people captained Timu Puki in that game as well. Both were like really popular picks, but they weren't obvious picks; they were kind of differential picks. And of course, that game ended nil-nil. Both players blanked, and that kind of set the trend for those players and as FBO assets really for the end of the whole of the season and you know the obvious pick perhaps would have been Jamie Vardy in that week Burnley at home who scored and you know rather than going for someone a bit more of a risky pick like Callum Wilson or Timu Pukki and it kind of blowing up in your face so I think I as I am still despite um, you know Alan's um, point of view I think and what you have raised some very good points there I'm still perhaps in favour of the obvious pick is obvious for the, for the captain obvious
1: yeah, no, I'm I'm broadly the same. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it depends on the nature of the advice you're trying to give. Are you trying to advise people on how to win FPL? Or are you trying to advise people on how to get a good rank, I suppose, overall? I think mean, if you're trying to win FPL, yeah, you know, go mental. Just try to get these sort of high-risk, high-reward sorts of picks off week after week. We've seen numerous examples of players winning the whole damn thing, who in the past haven't really gotten anywhere because they just... You know, the variance has gone their way effectively at the risk of using the L word. Even late rise himself. I mean, yeah, we looked at the the example that Alan mentioned with Martial. Obviously, that's a very high profile, you know, fantastic moment of somebody going against the grain, going with their own decision making, and that paying off. But even late rise himself says that. In his upside chasing, he's picking his moments. He's not just going for it witty-nitty week to week, but he does like these sort of high-variance, high-risk, high-reward moves. In terms of kind of the general mainstream thing, right, I guess others going off-piste in a captaincy week where there is a captain obvious are the people who you are trying to profit from, right? People not going with the obvious captain, the people that you're trying to step over effectively to get a higher rank. And as I said last week, if you zoom out and think about it over the long term, if captain obvious is obvious because they come off say half the time throughout the course of the season don't you think that you're going to more often than not have a net higher score than other people who have gone somewhere else with their captain so do you not think you're going to have a net higher amount of good outcome game weeks than other people do we know how important the captaincy can be it can be so often different in the good and bad weakness as we spoke about on pods ad nauseum, getting their captain pick wrong it's such a killer and a lot of the time a lot of people who are very good at fpl also happen to have a similarly very good talent which is being very good at picking up the captains. And a lot of the time that is Captain obvious. So there's something like uh, recognising Martial in the context of Henson being out. That's, that's something different altogether. But I think in this regard, it's, it's just about kind of thinking, right, okay, is it all about good rank? Is it all about kind of thinking, all right, how are you going to just improve your performance a little bit? In this regard, with Captain obvious, it's more about reeling us in rather than providing something that's kind of genuinely around an intricate Novo strategy du jour. I think it's more about kind of just trying to check where we are and balance sort of our behaviors a little bit towards kind of thinking, right, you can really be into it, be really engaged, but you can still make mistakes. So it's just providing advice to help you in that regard.
0: I've already voiced my thoughts last week and I think I just fully agree. It's just like you just need to try and stay patient and stick to the captain obvious and long term it's going to do better for you. And I think whilst we can always point to those examples as you know as nick said that you know we'll go up in lights on twitter and we'll be talked about for ages like late risers picked last season the fact of the matter is is that those come around once in a blue moon and taking risks as i did let's say last season and the tail end of the season probably didn't do me any good as it turned out anyway thank you very much to alan for sending in that particular email any thoughts comments clarifications addendums you want to add to this pod or others just get it into who got the assist at gmail.com all one word
1: Yep, and we uh, will definitely uh, hopefully have a more kind of as the season wears on and we've got kind of a greater body of work behind us throughout the course of the season have a lot more to call on uh, in terms of providing complex answers but that was hopefully a good example for people who weren't quite sure what we meant by that when we put it on Twitter or spoke about it earlier on about how we intend this to work. to so the more orthodox quickfire Q&As, but yeah, it's the 4.5 million rotations, the first question we've received. Uh, first question of the season, 7 uh, wonders FPL, and um, he asks what 4.5 millions we're looking at in defence, and if we've got any rotations on the go, or any we're interested in taking up. Stag, so like you said earlier on that you've never been able to keep up a game week one plan post game week three. Any 4.5 rotations that you're eyeing up?
0: Nah, I've eliminated that. I remember for years I used to be uh, sitting there on Twitter trying to work out these, you know, great rotating pairs or rotating 3 and putting it out on Twitter and thinking I was great. And then I'd have ditched it so quickly because, you know, inevitably if you've got a 4.5 defender, usually they're in a bad team and at least one of two or one of three turns out to be absolutely cack and you end up needing to change things up. And when we had the initial price reaction pod, there were so many 4.5 defenders. I remember I thought we were drowning in riches. I, I won like, them oh, all. Yeah, we have so much money. We can put it all into midfield. We don't want... And I just... I hate them all now. Like, I just have Kyle Walker-Peters in my team. And I, I don't even want him, to be honest. Like, at least he's nailed. And, like, Southampton got three clean sheets in nine in Project Restart. They conceded eight goals. But that was... Uh, an overperformance in XG terms of about 3.5 goals. They probably should have conceded 11 or 12. Like They have a few good fixtures at the start, i.e. Crystal Palace, basically, who I don't think can attack, and West Brom in game week four, who basically have one attacker in their whole entire squad that's at Premier League quality. Uh, but, like, Walker Peters himself, like, there's no real attacking output there. Three chances created and two shots from game week 32 onwards when he was first choice. So we're not talking about some sort of, like, underhanded or unknown Marcus Alonso sitting there um, at Southampton so like uh, Ruben Venagre looked like a great pick and it looks like he's heading away Martial actually the Martial, mm-hmm. Martial not to be confused with the Martial plan but definitely about as expensive as something the Americans were investing in at 5.0 um, like the fact of the matter is, is I've never seen fans so excited to lose a player as Leon fans were on our soccer the other night when that transfer was confirmed they were genuinely delirious uh, one play, <laughs> like, one comment no, one commenter suggested that you know, his passion and his errors are so fundamental to his game it's going to cost Wolves so many goals and another popular comment was saying he had more red cards three and own goals two than good games for Leon last season I've pulled out the numbers myself so the three the two and he was 26 caps like or 26 appearances all season like you're not that good and he's meant to be playing left back according to Tim Spears who's the athletic correspondent for Wolves but like he has been playing at left centre back for this Leon team he's not meant to be good at left back at all worse than he was already at left centre back like <laughs> I don't know what's going on at Wolves so yeah That's my 4.5s rant.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you. Um, I'm the same as you that over the years, I mean, remember one of the first tweets that I did that got over 20 likes was a rotation between three teams on Twitter. That was when the, the accountant had about 20 followers, I think it was. And I was like, oh, Nick, no, you've got 20 likes. And you were just like, yeah, well done, mate, well done. Um, But I think the reality (laughs) is now we're so far along. It definitely feels like busy work to me. I'm I'm not knocking the likes of FPL Swede or Legomane Dan, who spent ages doing this. And that's great. There's a lot of people who do love that. just not for me. And I agree with Anthony completely. It just doesn't last very long. Um, In terms of the 4.5s and how I'm approaching it, it's really... Attuned to the COVID context, um, it's a 4.5 million phalanx alongside TAA of players who are just going to play. Frankly, um, I mean they do have some sort of vague rotation in that for the first three game weeks. You know, uh, I've got Carl, Carl Walker Peters as well, I and mean, then he comes off in game week two, and Ezri Konsa comes on uh, to play. Right, Ezri Konsa is a player who's just going to play. And Aston Villa looked very defensively good at the end of last season. So he's just there for that reason. Um, but really they are 90 minute men. That's, that's the key thing. If Adam Webster had good fixtures, I'd have him in at a 4.5, but he doesn't. So I've got concert in at the moment. I did have Vinagre. I've now got Sice. I've got KWP. I've got James Justin. Um And, it's, it's none of them are particularly exciting. They're just there to kind of be a body and to enable the rest of my team effectively whilst providing me 90 minutes and providing me some form of upside. So Concer had a decent uh, goal threat about him uh, from from those grievous deliveries um size obviously um plays for a team he's 5.0 but plays for a team which is quite defensively solid although who knows with all of these players coming in and Christ knows with martial hanging around and the uh, kwp uh, defensive fullbacks we mentioned on uh on the pod a few weeks ago um i mean he does play for southampton who've got a decent start that's basically it i'm not particularly excited about these 4.5s anymore i've completely lost the excitement don't believe in any rotation but i think if i was to rank them i know it's not the question. Seven have one disaster i'm gonna do it anyway probably looking at james justin first walker peters second charlie taylor or, or peters whoever comes out as being the burnley guy third that's probably about it isn't it it's not, it's not particularly exciting anymore if they're good fixtures brilliant i'll be all over them but as it stands i'm just not i'm just, just not excited at all so they're just there because they are bodies on the field nick what do you reckon
2: we're depressed as well about the 4.5 million defenders. The excitement that we, we had when they first emerged, like Sabinaga. Um he's still in my team at the moment, but it does look like he might move to Porto away or, or something like that. It's one to keep an eye on, certainly over the next few days. I've got Justin in there at the moment as well, like you, Tom. But you know, I know they've signed Castagne, um, which might have an impact on his minutes, potentially, I don't know. Because the Burnley defenders, I do like the Burnley defenders. I might end up with Charlie Taylor or someone in there. Well, obviously, they've got a blank game week one, so it's not necessarily going to work. And then with Walker Peters, I just wasn't sure about the double up in defence with um, McCarthy. Doesn't really work for me. Um, I think Lampty as well is another one we mentioned. Um, potentially rotating Veltman, who knows? Bit of a risk. And finally, the Leeds defenders. No one's mentioned the Leeds defenders. I think they... Could be some decent picks. I know there's been about a hundred Dallas versus Ireland threads on um, on Twitter. <laughs> so check those out if you're, you're keen on them.
0: But, no, honestly, um, th- those threads, you know. I, I, I still can't figure out heads nor tail of why people are going for ailing over Dallas and some I of them like the fact of the matter is that like okay they're like oh Dallas there's actually other players that could play in his position Dallas plays everywhere man yeah, he and to, he was first choice as well last he would be
1: a favorite right I've got uh, full disclosure I've got meslier uh, from Leeds in goal and that kind of Sorts that out to some extent. So I want a little I've, bit of that defense. I've that.
0: done. I've done the same thing. I have um, Ilan Melier as he is uh, as oh, well. well Melier is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah Ilan Melier. I couldn't um, tell whether his
1: name was like Eastern European or French.
0: Yeah, no, I actually went looking earlier to get it oh, right. Oh. I also have Marek Rodak actually in there, but a good uh, four-point-five. What? <laughs> what?
1: what? Hang on! Hang on! Hang on! You're rolling for the stuff. defender, despite everything that we've said, rubbishing them. I didn't rubbish their
0: defense once.
2: <laughs> you you're not tempted by the Johnston, uh, batten double
0: up there. No, 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 no. I think, um, like, the fact of the matter is, is, that that Fulham team, Hector, could be a pretty good pick as a 4.5 defender. He'll hoover up bonus points like he pretty much does all of the CBI's that that defense does. Uh they have clean shootable early fixtures for sure. And then, like, look, like, there's Leeds in there, there's Villa in there, there's Crystal Palace in there, all in the first six eminently doable games but I've just gone for Rodak purely because uh, save points and Fulham gave up an awful lot of shots last year Rodak had like 2.8 or 2.9 shots per game last season in the championship that's going to tick over three that's a point Thank you very much. Actually, Tom's looking fearful.
1: Interesting that a team facing lots of shots is 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 a positive. It definitely is. I guess it's counterintuitive, isn't it? That because they're taking a lot of shots, you don't want to play a, a goalkeeper who's not going to be taking many shots on, but if they do concede, that's it. I like think sort of type, so you know, getting those three points. I mean, at one point last year, I think Tim Krul, by dint of a penalty save, was second for goalkeepers. So definitely you know, something in going for a Johnson, something like that. That's did, what I'm um, going for. A, Melier because he's sort of in the middle between
0: yeah it's it's just knowing that I'm going to wildcard probably within five or six weeks it's like do you know what Rodak has a few decent fixtures in there throw him in see how it turns out if he saves a penalty fantastic and otherwise Sherlock like we learned something along the way that Fulham conceding loads of shots means they also concede loads of goals and if that's what we learn fair enough
2: to be fair we also saw it with Neil Everidge if you remember as well we saved a couple of early penalties it was a smashing it in terms of the underlying stats is very often that, you know, some of these cheaper goalkeepers are actually the ones that do the best over the course of the season just because they're having all the shots, but they have to be a good goalkeeper. And that I think the whole um, you back in the Fulham defence though reminds so you're sort of when you always kind of like fall in love a little bit with the players you're writing about for an article. Uh-huh. Like when I did a prospect in the prospects for Vincente Ibora that Tom will remember, I was I was sold on this guy. I thought he was gonna be a fantastic
0: guy. <laughs> I, I had but I no, had a similar thing with Trash season. Oh, I had a thing with Trossard as well. I was like, "This guy is—he's amazing!" No, 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 no. Like, of course, yeah, underlying stats dream, but reality a bit more annoying.
1: I mean, I, 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 we should probably move on to the next question, but I really want to know about the rotating keepers. It's just never been something <laughs> that I've been—I've been behind. And the FPL Rodney asked about this as well in terms of rotating keepers when I put the you know the beer photo out. So it's, it's just come to mind a little bit. But I mean, you've got Mellier, You've got Rodak in a rotation, by the sounds of it. Like, why are you going for that? Why? What the
0: hell has possessed you? I'm like, at home it's, alone? It's, I mean, what's happening? It's, it's, it's a crap game. <laughs> it's a crap game week one for both of them. If you're looking at the rotating pair and you're like, Absolutely. oh, this is terrible. Absolutely. But, you know, all those shots that Aubameyang is going to be taking from outside the box. They're going to be great for Rodak. And uh, then after that, Fulham's uh, game week two fixture. That's actually quite good. Uh, it's against Leeds, which yes, is obviously also now. good for the other side of that. Yeah. Rodak then has Villa. And then I'm probably going to be wildcarding. And if I don't, I quickly scramble to check who Millier plays in game week four. Forget that. It's Manchester City. It's man
1: City, yeah. <laughs> so that's I'm a, playing but Rodak that's, there. But that's, Great that's game why I've against got in. <laughs> that's why I've got him in. Because if, if <laughs> Millier, like, okay, he plays like two of the top two in the first four weeks. And then, then we're done for a while. Yeah.
0: That's it. Yeah. This is the thing with him, at least. Um, and Rodak just has pretty decent fixtures pretty much straight through. You know, like they're not terrible fixtures, let's say, uh, all the way straight through. It's just how much you believe they're going to struggle. But I d- basically, I didn't really want Alex McCarthy and Kyle Walker Peters. Yeah, I and mean, then yeah, Brighton's fixtures are bad. So I was like, yeah, might as well try something else. You know? Okay.
1: When you walk out there, I mean, in the COVID context, just a segue and link to Met's question as well. In the COVID context, is there an argument to have two rotating goalkeepers or at least two playing keepers? Is that, is that, is that a thing too for you guys? It kind of isn't for me, but I'm worried that I'm being complacent.
0: Two playing keepers and two keepers who aren't playing in a game against each other. If you really want to, Double down it as well Because if a squad goes into isolation Then that's a whole game called off Potentially If you really want to get You know Freaking out about it With your rotating pairs And non-clashing fixtures as well uh, Yeah I Well I like to always have two Playing goalkeepers anyway Because it just means that I don't have an immediate problem If one player gets suspended Or injured or whatever As we saw can happen With say Leno last season I think I actually ended up Getting caught by that Because I played myself With wild cards and stuff So yeah No two playing goalkeepers For sure Nick
2: um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not huge on the two playing goalkeepers. I think it's like a, bit, a little bit of a waste of 0.5 million. I know it's not a lot of your budget, but I just think 4.5 million, four million combination um, works best. And I know you can sometimes find the sort of the setups in one team if you want to enjoy yourself a little bit with the substitute goalkeeper on the same side. I have done a little bit of rotation, rotating goalkeepers in the past um, when I did have four million goalkeepers that were actually playing, like with Rob Elliot and think it was Jakubovic or Pickford or someone when he was four million.
1: Jakubovic Jacob, and Pickford. That what a rotation that was. was Holland Sunderland. Yeah. Wow. what, what I, I just remember though,
2: it, it. like it always seemed to be the case like, i would benched the wrong keeper anywhere. Yes, it's, it's great rotating keepers is a fantastic concept, but you have to get the right. You have to play the right one, and I never seem to. Is you always get like a. If you, I think I can't remember, rotates Foster with someone at one point, and he had like eleven points on the bench. I've Got vague memories of that. Just it seems to always not work out. So yeah, I'm not I'm not huge on rotating goalkeepers. So moving on to the next question um, related to COVID insurance. So FPL Meta asked us to discuss the opportunity cost of making your team more COVID safe by investing more on the bench. Uh, Dabby Pierce also. us. Um, how the current context has impacted our approach in that regard and as do Ian Mayo and FPL Clarence so lots of questions on Covid from our listeners here and I think for me I'm not really overly concerned about having a heavy bench you know loading up on too many uh, bench players um, and and spending lots of money on the bench in the case that a game's called off or player's called off I know it's a worry but we didn't end up actually having any games called off in the 30 to 38 period so Hopefully, you know, we don't see that happening. But I think in terms of insurance, I'm probably just going to be a case that I'm delaying my transfers as much as possible. We talked about, and you guys talked about it in the last post, the Austin rule a little bit, in terms of avoiding those early transfers and when they're midweek fixtures due to risk of injury. Uh, But I think for me, because of COVID, it's almost like just leave it until the last minute possible. And I think you discussed this as well. Just leave it to the last minute possible um, because, you know, there could be a a news. We've seen breaking news every day, as we talked about earlier, you know. So I don't want to bring in a player earlier and then find these out for Corona because that's just a waste of a transfer, isn't it? So I'm just going to, my insurance is just to leave my transfers late, but I'm not too worried about having a heavy bench because I want to spend that money on the starting 11.
0: Yeah, look, one thing I will consider with my COVID insurance as we call it is I don't think I will have my captain and vice captain playing in the same game I know it's something that would rarely occur unless you were capping two players from the same team let's say De Bruyne and Sterling I'm going to avoid having that happen but look having a bench on top of that I'm just saying look all of a sudden constantly and I'm so conscious of it but yes having a bench is definitely something as I said earlier in the pod that I want to have just even just to have your fodder Harrison reed esque type player in there and like look Teams like Spurs are going to be playing eight games in 18 days, including a 3,000 mile return trip in the next few weeks. The fact of the matter is, is that there are so many factors that are meaning that there's just going to be injuries, rotation, etc. That just having a deep bench will be helpful, even without the pandemic milling along in the background. And storms also occur. You might remember last season we had a game cancelled because of a storm, too. It was Man City Arsenal, wasn't it? that's it yeah that sounds right to me yeah and that that caused was a, i thought that was a carnage. COVID cancellation wasn't it no it was, was initially it a storm well.
1: and then became COVID. Oh. because i had my captain and vice captain in that yeah. very same game oh here <laughs> we go <laughs> so i agree with that completely i echo those points uh fantastically and um, i like what you said earlier as well i hadn't fully appreciated it but i like what you said earlier anthony about not having players who play each other as much as I possibly can. Maybe that's something that I'll have a look at tomorrow in terms of my draft. Um, but I'm um, in terms of answering the question, especially the one about opportunity cost, uh, one thing that I have done this year is I don't have any 4.0 defenders because I at the time of recording don't think that any of them are solid starters or starters I'm going to believe are going to be starting earlier on I said that I've got 4.5 million defenders who I'm fairly sure are going to start if I've got them that's basically the only parameter and if they've got decent fixtures then great um, and I've um, I've not got any cheap strikers I've got Harrison Reed, who's the only 4.5 who I think is a, a currently nailed on to play who's a CDM two-pointer sort of guy um, and I've got three basically players on the bench I don't have a playing goalkeeper maybe i think about that, but the ceiling solo of keeper, I don't you
0: care. The the nice thing about Reed as well, compared to a lot of other defensive midfielder options, just, this is like the you know, it's the most boring, nitty gritty the FPL to be talking about four point five million midfielders, the fifteen person in your squad. Reed doesn't pick up that many yellow cards as well, which is kind of helpful that it's not at least it's a two pointer, not a one pointer, more often than not if he does play.
1: Yeah, he's going to be buried third bench most of the season and ideally that would be a 4.0 defender but I think given how things are at the moment, I think it would just be very useful to have a Concer or a Webster or something like that who comes off the bench. I mean, I did that in the past with having Duffy as my first sub and that was okay. Like, just a player that you know is always going to be there, absolutely fine. Obviously, the opportunity cost of that is that if I had, you know, if it was a normal season, no COVID and, you know, I... I would definitely more be looking at having Bruno as being my bencher and having you know cheap players in a few places to enable that and make that sort of work. And um, as it stands, you know I've got Sint-Max and I've got um 4.5 I could easily take them down to 5.0s if Suchet was fine obviously, but I could take them all down to 5.0s and the defenders down to 4.0s to make it work with Bruno, but I don't feel like that's going to be what I want to be doing. Uh, this year because of how things are so i'm still trying to kind of balance it with with covid in mind or at least the the worst case scenario in mind but a lot of times it to be very very difficult to, to to countenance isn't it one of those things that it's going to be the new normal i think we're going to just see players ruled out we're going to see teams with covid scares and as nick said i think you're just going to have to be holding those transfers as we said last week with them, in Sam right next question formation stations fpl king paddy asks us what formations we think are going to be seen the most from the start so we said on the very first pod the pricing pod we turned around and said the strikers (laughs) those guys who cares about them it's all diamond field it's all 352 all the way now i don't think that's the case anymore is it Uh, anthony uh, are you a 352 man still or is it all about them strikers for you
0: I've gone backwards again. I'm flip-flopping like mad um, on who I think is, you know, which price point, which positions I think are particularly good. Now I think the strikers are bad again. I've gone back about two or three weeks into the past and I've got Werner, reluctantly Mitrovic, and Michael Obafemi as my three forwards right now. That definitely won't be that by, you know, Saturday. But that's where we are right now because I just basically don't believe in any striker under 6.0 and I'm not that keen on you know stretching to the likes of ings who are further up and i've instead got a pretty strong defense across the board rather than dealing with those shudderful 4.5 defenders that i just really don't want in my team and so like to answer patty's question like i actually don't have a clue patty like it it seems so all over the place more than usual like there isn't there is a template there but it's a template spine with kind of very random Bits onto the side of it Sometimes it's your Ings people Sometimes it's uh, Other midfielders Your San for example Is the one that's in my team It's Like I really don't know What the Default formation Is going to be It's not standard You know 3-4-3 a few years ago Was huge Uh, 3-5-2 seemed obvious It's not now Like Maybe you guys Are seeing this more clearly Than I am But to me It seems like formations Are really all over the place To start
2: so currently, I'm actually on the classic formation, so to speak, the three-four-three. It's kind of the It's like the four-four-two of the FPL world, isn't it? You know, just as much forward as you can. I still back the three-five-two over the course of the season. I think you know the only reason it kind of died a death from our initial pod is because of the Man United and the Man City blanks. But when you've got you know the likes of Greenwood or and Rashford now being midfielders, you've got um, Havertz, CH and Pulisic from Chelsea as all you've got some of the options there as well. And you've got the city guys as well, De Bruyne, Sterling, et cetera, and Bruno as well from United. I just feel that's going to be where the money's sitting. That's going to be the key part of your team. And you're potentially going to have cheaper forward lines, you know, like the Brewster, if he gets his move, like of Shea Adams, or like some Mitchell, Mitchell, filling those cheaper holes up front. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the the three, 5 2 is, is going to be in vogue over the course of the season. I think the only reason it's perhaps not in vogue right now is just because of United and City not playing yet. And, um, you know, players like Havertz, Pulisic, um, you know, Pulisic's injured, Havertz has only just joined. But I think they're going to be quite key to our team later on in the season.
1: Yep, I, I agree. I, I'm actually in for 2 at the moment, but I will be moving to a 3-4-3 because of my big at the bench thing um, in game week two. Um, And I think that the strikers definitely at the moment are looking quite interesting. I think there are quite a few talisman in the ranks. Um, I know it comes out of nowhere for you, Anthony. um, But I mean, you've got the likes of obviously Danny Ings. Um, you've got Anthony Martial at 9.0, who looks like a nice foil if you're going for Aubameyang, going for Salah, or in the future, indeed, going for KDB and Liverpool. Player, and um, you probably won't be able to afford to have a Bruno, so I don't know, it's, it's quite a nice default, isn't it? It does feel like, as Nick said, very retro, very classic to go for the 3 4 3. But I mean, you know, you've got the likes of uh, Vardy, as Nick mentioned before, you've got the likes of Werner, and um, you've got even Jimenez, a forgotten man, it feels like, in the engaged community. Lots of really interesting options, actually, there, but I think a lot of it is due to the fact that we don't have that game we won. Um, I think that if there were the KDB on the table, the Sterling on the table, things would be very, very different. We wouldn't be looking at the forwards, so we'd be looking at two forwards probably and trying to push as much as we can to that midfield. It's just the case of um, how things are right now. Um, I've got a 3 4 um, but I will probably be looking to change things probably over time. It's one of the things, you have to see how it goes. You've got to play what's in front of you. At the moment, having three strikers seems to be a good way to sort of play the situation as it is. So, uh, penultimate question, getting the band back together. So this is uh, obviously a reaction to today's Newcastle news. Uh, Mike Ashley pulling things out of his uh, very large behind. And uh, last year's Min League winner, uh, Jake Gallagher, um, at Match of the Dave, asks what impact Fraser and Wilson uh, moving to Newcastle may have on them? And ASM, Alan Sam, Maxima in particular. So Wilson and Fraser, a couple of years ago, they had more combined goal contributions than Messi and Suarez. They were they had one particularly ridiculous season two years ago, didn't they? And then both going there obviously fulfills the sort of uh what Bruce appears to be looking for in the in the place of having the press transfer budget, getting proven players and having Wilson there obviously meant that Fraser was more likely to say yes, and vice versa. So he obviously had a very, very good connection. Uh, but ASM obviously. Last year was serving dinner to people who couldn't eat it, in the likes of Joe Linton, uh, Andy Carroll, etc., etc. Andy Carroll's been scoring in preseason, uh, but but I guess w- what impact do we see the kind of uh, what impact do we see Newcastle having as a result of guys coming in? I mean, their start to the season actually isn't that bad at all, is it? As far as mid-table teams go, West Ham, Brighton, Spurs, Burnley, and Man of the first five, uh, those first two in particular—looking very Arsenal-like, in that they're decent enough at least to get you through to that kind of game week three I'll wait and see if you're going for that sort of category so what do you guys reckon uh, uh, Fraser, Wilson, Newcastle?
2: It's interesting it seems to be a little, little bit of hype developing over Fraser, Wilson you know everyone's got these memories of, of two years ago and then how they combined so well and got all these goals and assists So, people have kind of forgotten last season and just generally how bad they were And how bad Bournemouth were. And I don't quite know what happened to Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth where we had a falling out with someone or something because this season kind of just ended. And with Callum Wilson, he had a strong start. But his, his stats last season weren't particularly good at all. You know, if I look at sort of the... The shots he had, it was less than the likes of Allaire, less than the likes of Jordan Ayew. You know, likes Jordan Ayew, for instance, scored more goals in the end than Callum Wilson over the course of the season. And, um, you know, just generally has better stats and was 1.5 million cheaper. We haven't got Wilson's price right now. But, you know, I I think perhaps there's a little bit of excitement over those guys. And I don't necessarily think that they're going to be as good as a lot of people are expecting. You know, Newcastle are, are being praised for doing some... Um, Astute business in the, in the transfer window in, over the past few days, but they're essentially just buying players from teams that got relegated, which isn't necessarily great. That being said, I've still got Alan St. Maximin in my team. I I'd, I'd like to think it would be a positive that he's got Callum Wilson. He's, he's better forward than Joelinton, so hopefully that increases his chances of getting a seat, creating space there <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for Alan St-Maximin to, to get into the box. And um, Ryan Fraser, as you said, he was absent last year, but that season he did well. He was sort of like second for assists across all midfielders, wasn't he? So, you know, I think um, I think hopefully for Alan St-Maximin, it's, it's a positive that, that these guys come in, but I'm not necessarily going to be rushing to say, yeah, everyone, get your Newcastle assets in <laughs> um, straight away.
0: Yeah, little dad. Good first two fixtures. Uh, they are better players than Newcastle previously had. That should benefit San Maxima in some way. But at the same time, what happened last season? Like Monumentally poor from both of them. And that does make me hesitant to bring them into my team for game week one. Could be one of these like classic reactionary things. You know, Sometimes players just have bad seasons and they come back stronger. Sometimes they don't. I'm not you know, completely optimistic about them. I think I would go for the known quantity in Sam Maximan and Gamble that he has, you know, slightly better players around him and that might benefit him more than I would go on the new players themselves in Wilson or Fraser.
2: Yeah,
1: I think that's probably about right. I think the price um, of Sam Maximan as well is just so, it lends itself to taking that punt. I mean, in the restart, it wasn't, amazing one goal three assists of course those three assists all came in the same game eight of the nine games he did absolutely squat uh, for his assist wise and he scored in one of them brilliant um uh, in terms of shots in the box Three big chances, two shots on target, seven. I mean, none of these are particularly stats that are exciting me. I do own him <laughs> because it's not it's not too terrible in mean, the xG is one point seven five. The xG was of I could really these stats They're not particularly useful are they? Um, but again, I think we're hoping there's a sense of elevation. I suppose uh, from these new players coming in for him to have better better people to play with effectively Um that could definitely be a thing uh, one word as well uh, Miguel Amarón um, he has uh, been overlooked because he's not more expensive than uh, San Maxima but it's worth noting that he has a lot more shots in the box uh, than uh, Mr. San Maximan does creates more chances than San Maximan does he was playing on the wing uh, because of how things tend to be but he does tend to be more of a number 10 so, maybe the new signing of Fraser will have an impact on him and moving back into that sort of creator role that he craves, uh, or maybe a kind of a, create, a creation slash breaking into the box sort of role. So, maybe we may see uh, the Paraguayan, who looks like he's just uh, had a slushy on the way home from training, do very, very well. But yeah, I think known quantity or termites man, fair enough. But yeah. Almiron um, is there if you do want a differential. I think he's only owned by less than 2% at the moment. So one, two, bear in mind. And the final question of this preseason is sickening additions. The equally sickening Adam Pritchard asks, who do we feel physically unwell about having in our drafts? Uh, and are there any indeed that we just can't include because of prior biases? Are there any players that you've kind of played with tried to put in or any players that indeed are in there at the moment they're playing a role we both know why we're there but we're not particularly excited an FPL buddy as it were sub out FPL for another word if you'd like what do you guys reckon any players that make you feel physically ill
2: well apart from Jamie Vardy um I've also got Alexander <laughs> Mitrovic and another another lovely lad um, fronting my team right now and he is a player when I look at my current draft I think what the hell are you doing here? What, what, why? Why have I got Mitrovic in my team, especially considering I owned him two years ago and he, he was rubbish for me. But I I just remember the year that season. It was a bit of a rough rough time. But I'm I'm when I get Mitrovic in, I've owned Mitrovic. I'm trying to put away my personal biases. I'm trying to ignore my personal biases, my personal experiences, and look at it, you know, purely from a statistical point of view or the eye test. And I think at 6 billion, he is actually, he's 0.5 million than he was um, that other campaign with Fulham. So he's he's cheaper. He's also a better player than he was back then. So last season, he actually scored 26 goals in the championship, which was the top scorer and his best ever career performance for goals. So he's hitting this campaign in his best ever form. Um, Fulham as well. I really like their fixtures. They've got Arsenal in game week one, but game week two to nine, they don't play any of the top six. So it, it seems like a really good, Really good time to kind of jump on one of their, their players for the, for those fixtures. Maybe that's why stack has Rodak, I don't know. Otherwise, I also looked at his record for Serbia, and I was, just, I was really um, impressed by that as well. He's had 35 goals in 57 games for Serbia in international football and 24 goals in their last 24 games, which is over the course of the last few years. But that record just really, really um, impressed me. And I think, you know, 6 million, he just seemed like a really good... Um, player just to fit in, regardless of my sort of my personal feelings on on the player, and uh, yeah, so he he's the one that I look at and, and feel physically unwell, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, an international goal as well in just the recent break for Mitrovic in a three-one defeat to Russia. So yeah, he's he's still hitting that for him this particular season. I I can't believe that there are hundreds of players in FPL, and I'm also saying Mitrovic here. He's also in my squad. And I just don't like having him in there. He's a volume striker, and that is his definition. Like he has a he had a goal conversion of about a shot conversion of about seventeen percent last term in the championship. In the in the Premier League the year before that, when he was with Fulham, it was eight point four percent, which is very poor. Gabriel Jesus, 13.9%. You all get extremely frustrated with Jesus. Keep that in mind. Like If he falls in the middle of those two numbers, you're saying, okay, you're allowing for the championship defenses being obviously a little bit worse and him getting more time, so he's converting a little bit more, then you're saying he'd have about a Gabriel Jesus level of goal conversion. The problem is that he's not getting chances created for him like Gabriel Jesus is and this Fulham team in fact don't actually even create that many chances they were 11th for shots in the box in the championship last season they're a very slow methodical possession based team who can't counter-attack for the seemingly at all of 151 shots last season only two of Mitrovic's shots came off a counter-attack I'm not sure how they're going to create chances at the other end this season. And because of that, I'm not confident in Mitrovic. But the fact of the matter is I'm not confident in any striker that is priced at 6.0 or below.
1: I was going to say, I mean, Hindu Monkeys, uh, Shea Adams train. Uh, I, I was uh, surprised that that's been dismissed so readily in the Irish quarter. It, it's
0: nothing against Shea Adams. It's <laughs> nothing against um, the Shea train. It's it's just quite a simple. I, I had him at the start of last season and he left me down so badly. And he may have had a pretty good project restart. But Southampton were like Bournemouth. Every year I would have two or three of their attackers in my squad for some reason starting off the season, and they're always bad. Like, they're just never good, except for Danny Yangs, the one that I didn't put in my squad. They're, they're always bad. <laughs> it's just like, I, just, I can't do it. I, I'll probably end up relenting and probably ending up with one of them in the team in the end, because it always happens, and I'm always disappointed. But right now, none in.
1: I, mean, I certainly have PTSD things uh, in, terms of, in terms of Danny. I, I just, I, I'm so used to seeing him scoring when I don't want him to score. For, like, it's it's Chris's
0: mark. messages in oh. Slack. Dings three horrible, goal emojis
1: horrible. you see you see like a select group of people on twitter celebrating you know like, oh for god i'm not getting uh, mm-hmm. obviously that was my mistake and they're more than happy to celebrate it looks like i'm also going to be going about them it looks like i will have uh, maybe shea adams at the moment but what does
0: that make you feel
1: just for kind of an insurance um, <laughs> I, i'm i'm going to basically hope that the twitter hype means that I can blame Hindu monkey. He also tweets about politics, by the way. I don't think anyone mentions this ever, but he tweets a lot about politics. (laughs) Worth calling that out. Um, But last year... I really wanted to join in the Barnes train. I didn't. And so maybe I'm going to you know, use the fact that he's convenient 6 million. It means that I can buy somebody, a few other players over. If I had Danny England, I'd have to make a few sacrifices. So at the moment, I'm going for the Che train. I'm not too sure about... I'm a reluctant passenger. You know, when you go to, when you go and visit somebody, you know, like a distant relative, that you're not really too sure about going to see, but you've got to go and do that journey. I feel like I'm that guy at the moment. Hopefully, the likes of Mitrovic or whatever will prove themselves by game week three and I'll get off. Or even more, hopefully, Shea will absolutely smash it and more than cover Danny Ings. I don't know. I think he'd be the one that I nominate at the moment. He's been the one I'm not too sure on. I think physically unwell is probably a bit strong. Um, I think if I was rolling with the likes of Eric Dyer or Ben Davis, I'm going to be looking at my team and thinking, oh, what the hell am I doing? Um, but at the moment, I, I'm, I'm kind
0: of okay uh, with my team. Emphasis on the local in locomotive.
1: Hmm, indeed. Well, Hindi Monkey complaints for him anyway uh so to round off the podcast do we want to disclose our teams and captains i think that might be a quite interesting thing to do um i don't know if people do follow on twitter normally this point in time of year we put in tweet teams up etc etc taking a leaf out of our generals book as we all seem to be doing and kind of uh, uh being a bit relying a bit low this year i don't, I don't really want to put my team out there for uh, for general uh not FPL general, but a, 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 gem, a, a general dissection, as it were. Um, it changes it up until last weekend. I didn't really change it that much. Now it's kind of changing every now and again. For example, today Nizar Kinsella tweeted that um, Havertz, who I really like from fancy Windows League, or into the eye test generally, um, is it, it, probably likely to be ready for game week one. Ready meaning start or ready meaning ready to come off the bench I don't know but he was with the German men's national team so now he's come in over Werner and my team's changed a little bit again I don't think I'm going to go for it but my one bit of advice as I said uh, at the end of the first session Just do whatever makes you happy, I think, game week one. You've got a pool of valid players. If you're into your FPL, you probably know who those are. If you want to go back to our pricing pod, if you're not too sure, do that, or find other kind of who to pick, sort of articles, whatever, anywhere else. But within that kind of pool of players, just pick players that you think are going to do well and suit your strategy for the first few weeks. And, And hopefully that'll do the job for you. As you've heard, I'm going to be probably having a Manchester United player. Hopefully, Martial doesn't have COVID or anything. But if he does then I'll top that out. But I'll have a man, nice player come off the bench in game week two. Um, but I've got 4-4-2 going to 3 4 as it stands at this moment in time. Don't know if it's going to still be that way next week. Um, and I'll be having Aubameyang game one captain. I don't really believe in the early captaincy, jinxy stuff I used to. And Nick set me straight very, very early on. If you did listen to that podcast way back at the beginning and know what I'm talking about, as for the team, it's going to shift around a lot and I'll post it um, after the deadline uh, next Saturday.
2: Nick, what are you doing? So, yeah, I, I had a team already uh, sent out for general dissection. You may have seen it on the OFPL account. And Mason got Mount, Ra- what criticised for like... the, uh, the inclusion of Mason Mount, and he was kind of in there before kind of Havertz uh, stuff all properly kicked off, and that kind of changed my mind a little bit. I know that Mount's dad's been on Twitter saying uh, <laughs> that Mason's not upset that Havertz has joined the club and that's rubbish but um, enough of that back to my team um I, so as I said I've, I've kind of moved things a little bit around since then it's broadly the same but I got rid of Mount and put Saka in for Arsenal um I think he's potentially going to start I think he's going to be a really good pick this season And I've used that money to to kind of upgrade Brewster to Mitrovic and that gives me a little bit more flexibility I've still got a Doherty in defence as well at the moment So quite a few interesting picks there uh, But I think Aubameyang's the captain He's the key man With Salah and Vardy and Werner So sort of four really strong players And then Doherty and Alexander-Arnold Good defence, sort of the main defenders the, the crux of the team And then a few other sort of neighbours sitting there Like some Mitro, um, like some James Justin Sam Maxima And hopefully they can do a job for the team Come in as and when uh, So yeah, uh, kind of Didn't do it in quite order, but i pretty much named most of the players in my team there. Um, If you can figure it out. uh, So, I don't know if it will change in the next few days. It's definitely not set in stone, but um, I guess reasonably happy right now.
0: I maintain the right to rip this completely up and um, there's an awful lot happening on the transfer front, COVID front as well, it's clearly catching up with players on international duty, all the games aren't even played yet and like I think you'll you'll notice that there are definitely works in progress in this side. Maybe starting off, uh, Tom might say, with the Rodak and Melier axis at the back. Um, There's serious questions about whether it's a good idea to have two promoted goalkeepers at the back, but I find it interesting right now. Trent Alexander-Arnold won't be moving from my side. Maitland-Niles is in my defence right now. Will he play? Won't he play? Where is Hector Bairin going? Is he staying in London? We don't know, so maybe he will move. I don't know. John Egan will probably stay in my side. Kyle Walker-Peters reluctantly making up my defence, along with Wan-Bissaka, who I think will stay, but I may downgrade to Shaw if I feel confident he'll start every game for United. Uh, Midfield, Son Aubameyang, who will stay no matter what. Salah, who I think is going to stay no matter what. And then I have uh, Saka and Harrison Reid finishing out that midfield. Mitrovic, on. Fortunately, up top, he's not staying there, I don't think. Timo Werner. And right now, 5.0, Michael Obafemi. I'm getting flack from Southampton fans that he's not going to play. I was thinking, well, Eh? he's 5.0 and he will get a minute a game was pretty much the logic of it. And it was like, I didn't think he was going to be one of the first forwards to drop in price. And so I was like, he may stay in the squad. He's cheap, but he's not 4.5. And then it will just move forward from there. I have got the most quizzical looks from both of my co-hosts on Zoom here, which is saying that I definitely shouldn't have Obafemi, which is what all the Southampton fans are saying too. So I probably won't have Obafemi, folks. It's probably my Irish goggles <laughs> getting the better of me.
1: It's sounds like you've wasted a million pounds. You've got a rotating goalkeeper you're never going to use and don't believe in. You've got my club Obafemi. Get rid what? of no, them. No, no, no.
0: I believe in both I'm, my rotating goalkeepers.
1: And then spend a million elsewhere. You can, I you, love. You could forego the need keepers. to do a really well card, because you could make a better plan for yourself. Anyway, no, I'm, t- I'm telling you how to make, how to make my keepers team. Rotating goalkeepers
0: are brilliant. Where's the issue with Rodak and Melier?
1: Mad, madness. No. But I'm telling you how to make my team, so that's rubbish. <laughs> and you should do what you want to do and what makes you happy. <laughs>
0: <sighs> we love you, Michael Obafemi. We love you. <laughs> right okay let's wrap it up we were who got the assist thanks so much for listening if you're a new listener please do subscribe and if you have been with us before please stick with us for the season and leave us a review if you've been enjoying us for a while we'd love to get some reviews we're a bit low on those on the old itunes and elsewhere yeah and we'll be back next week after game week one um yeah reviewing
2: the car crash i'm sure of our Opening game weeks of the season, so I'm sure it'll be very exciting. Rodak, um, penalty and, yeah, we'll, it's going to be great. It's going to be good. Uh, but yeah, um, reminder as well: I'm in e-code, it's C-P-S-U-L-F if you want to join us this season
1: yep uh, thanks very much for listening during pre-season we hope he assisted you pick your team set up your strategy etc etc good luck in game marik rodak don't pick (laughs) marik rodak but good luck in game week one regardless whether you do and we'll speak to you next week goodbye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist